0: Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. This is the latest episode in our series focused on competitive intelligence in the energy sector. Thanks for joining us. We've got a great episode for you today. We'll be talking about LNG and how it fits into the corporate strategies of some of the industry's biggest players. But first, I just want to remind everyone about the upcoming Energy Intelligence Forum virtual conference that will be streaming live October 13th through 15th. Some of the biggest names of energy will, pre- will be presenting there. Discussing many of the themes we talk about on this podcast, including today's topic, LNG, along with lots of other great stuff. So uh, the forum is free to all energy intelligence clients, and anyone else can get more information at www.energyintelligenceforum.com or by emailing sales at energyintel.com. Okay, now on to LNG. Today, we are lucky to have two of our top LNG experts to discuss the state of play. Ian Nathan is the Director of Energy Intelligence's Research and Advisory Unit. Thanks for being here, Ian. Hi, Luke. And we also have Mike Sultan, the editor of our daily LNG Intelligence newsletter. Hey, Mike. Hello. So LNG is obviously a big piece of the strategic picture of many of the world's largest oil companies. Gas has long been touted as a bridge fuel to a cleaner energy economy, and companies around the world from ENPs to service providers have wagered billions of dollars on future demand for gas that can be exported around the world. But confidence in the global demand curve is not quite what it was five or 10 years ago when prices were high and the thirst for LNG in Asia and Europe seemed insatiable. And we'll get into what the changing market means for some individual companies in a minute, but let's just start briefly with kind of the bigger picture and talk a bit about where we stand today and kind of what we should expect in the next 10 or 15 years. So Ian, let's start with you. What is the current outlook for global LNG demand, and how has that changed?
1: Well, uh, well, thanks, Luke. You know, we, we've recently updated our long-term outlook, and our base case demand uh, scenario remains consistent, and, and that is a 4% annual growth rate to 2030. Uh, <laughs> this slows a little bit uh, when extended to 2035, but it's still a, a solid a uh, robust growth story um, you know one of the key questions that keeps coming up is you know how is 2020 and how how is the coronavirus uh, and and oil price crises um, you know really impacting the outlook for LNG and and the truth is is that our demand drivers and expectations remain largely unchanged uh, with the largest market uh, uh, the larger the largest markets, uh, you know, still requiring imports to bridge supply gaps to fuel their strategic industries. So, so that remains uh, a very solid underlying assumption. But I think what's different this time around, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's important to consider, and that's the supply question. And I think we're going to get into that during our, our session here. Um, you know, and that's how the, these twin crises uh, are going to impact uh, uh, really the appetite for new capacity developments. So, so, so that's, I think really the key, maybe the key difference this time around.
0: Mm -hmm. So Mike, one of the big selling points of LNG is that it's kind of like the anti-coal, or at least it's a cleaner alternative. And the abundance of gas, not least because of the U.S. shale boom, has made it increasingly competitive with coal but therein kind of lies the problem the the margins on these multi-billion dollar liquefaction projects are not quite what they were when the lng craze began to say nothing of how aggressively some companies are proposing to reduce their own emissions uh so how are companies dealing with this
2: companies are de- dealing with this in uh in contradictory ways w- ways that go against directly against each other i mean companies have they've made strenuous efforts at cost control and lng every conceivable way to control costs from where you build the project components to how you build them a huge race to the bottom on cost but then companies are turning around and promoting ideas like carbon neutral cargos so on the one hand they're driving costs to a bare minimum then suddenly turning around and adding costs for carbon abatement and then of course expecting the lng market share to, to grow from that point and it's a it's a tough spot to be in which is why I, I, that's why I think that the industry really needs to argue in favor of LNG even more strongly than it has. I mean, if you think about uh, carbon abatement, if you tax LNG require carbon abatement offsets, et cetera, all else being equal that tax pushes the buyers back toward coal that, and that isn't decarbonization at all. Same thing as if you don't take into account the carbon abatement that comes when that LNG arrives in India or China, uh, displacing coal plants and such things there that isn't decarbonization it's it's not a proper world focused look at it so so with the lng industry is in a tight spot price wise but uh it, it may actually need to to argue its way out that's how i leave it
1: hmm. and you know i think you know what you really come come up with at this point is i think there are two tracks here to the story uh, from the corporate level on the one hand, you have uh, this uh, this growing drive to reduce any particular company's uh, carbon footprint as part of uh, as part of these uh, you know these broader uh, uh, carbon abatement targets. Uh, but then you do have what we expect to be a growing appetite for uh, carbon abated LNG or carbon neutral LNG, uh, which has really uh, you know garnered a lot of headlines in, in recent weeks, even though it's not. Certainly not a new concept, um, you know, and, and the ability of uh, uh, of the sellers to be able to give the customers what they what they want, um, and and I think this this really dovetails into the point Mike was making, which is, uh, uh you know, how, how to reconcile, uh, you know, this uh, this increasingly competitive marketplace, um, you know, with potentially higher costs, but yet with the need for uh, costs to actually come down in order to be competitive.
0: All right. So how are companies just managing this kind of fluid environment and some of these contradictory or, or, you know, aspects that are kind of pulling in opposite directions? that you can talk about this from a sort of general perspective or get more specific. But I mean, what what is the what are what are the strategies some of these companies are taking?
1: You know, I think what you really have at the heart of uh, of this entire conversation is that companies need to uh, you know, meet the demand that's out there by putting together a low cost and competitive portfolio. Uh, now, <laughs> this is, in uh, you know, far and away, not a new concept, um, but it is taking on, in, you know, just even greater and greater importance as time goes on. So on the supply side, uh, you know, you, you have an awful lot of, of capacity, uh, not just competing for FID, but ultimately competing for, for customers. Uh, but on the demand side, you know, you have these, uh, you know, these growing headwinds uh, with regard to, uh, uh, you know, the appetite to, you know, for importing an expensive fuel as opposed to, um, you know, pursuing renewables and, uh, and other uh, decarbonization, low carbon or, uh, or other uh, perhaps destructive policies. And, and so that's, that's the challenge for, uh, for companies right now. Um, and, uh, um, and, and part of that strategy, uh, and this goes to something that we've, we've been talking about for quite some time and, um, and, and we're talking about it even a few minutes ago, uh, you know, is that, um, you know, I think companies right now are, are contemplating, um, or, or maybe I should say have contemplated, uh, you know, really, uh, the capacity new capacity versus the offtake strategy um, you know and and it's something that is uh, in many respects predated the the pandemic um, and predated a uh, recent market weakness um, and, and and that is something right now we're in a very interesting period at this point because um, you know LNG project pipelines from some of your your legacy you uh, project promoters and your bigger sellers, you know, those have been organically sort of thinning out for quite some time, um, you know, and so, uh, you know, as more and more FIDs have been reached over the last few years, um, you, know, you, you see that m- many of these companies have have, have less capacity uh, sort of in the in the project pipeline, um, you know, but that really, you know, starts to you know really put the focus on <laughs> some other companies that do have uh, considerable uh, capacity um, and, uh, and that's something that uh, i think we're, we're going to talk about in a few minutes as we get into some of those specific examples
0: yeah well let's let's just do that right now uh mike let's just start with uh bp i know uh you had been following their analyst day uh, earlier this month and uh lng is definitely a, a part of their strategy but um Where is it now?
2: They they've been dealing with the crosswinds in, in an interesting way. I don't know how to describe that nautically but they've been they they've emphasized carefully their focus on bioenergy hydrogen carbon capture they've made those the big headlines but they're still planning to push their lng portfolio to about uh from the 15 million tons to about 30 million tons by 2030 they're still and they're still looking very closely at at uh, at china with a whole series of agreements with chinese independent town gas suppliers so i mean uh they're it, it they're it's both a a actual hedging and a pr strategy kind of together where they're Hmm. making they're putting the bioenergy hydrogen as the as the big headlines but they're still moving ahead even bp which isn't the the the, the largest by any means of, uh, the, of the LNG players, even they're moving forward on LNG despite the, the headline focus on the other energies. But, and, but it's not all a PR. Some of it is the fact that that's BP and all the others are energy companies now. And so they're hedging with new, uh,
0: with new uh, types of energy and making sure people know, yes, we are looking at those. So Ian, I think, I think Shell is another company that would you know ha, has a similar sort of overall approach to BP and uh, probably even more heavily weighted to LNG. so what uh, what can we learn from Shell and some of the other uh, super majors?
1: Yeah, well you know it's interesting when you look at uh, when you look at shell and and you see that uh, uh, you know that offtake has been a large part of, of its uh, uh, of its aim to to increase its portfolio of of low cost and increasingly competitive volumes uh it doesn't mean it's not exposed to new capacity it has this this large project in canada which is is hugely important for example um you know but but one of the interesting things i find about about what shell is doing it has to do with uh uh with its use of um of existing infrastructure in, in some some legacy plays, uh, legacy LNG plays that is, and that you know, and that in, you know basically in, means the prolonging of the life of, of that uh, uh, of those ventures. You know, Trinidad and Tobago and Egypt in particular. Uh, you know, so you know, in, in that regard, I think there is uh, you know there there's some in, there's some interesting parallels with 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 BP's strategy, which uh, when you look at its its portfolio target, a lot of this is already underway, um, you know, given the deals that it's made and, uh, and the volumes that it's going to be expecting over the next few years. Uh, it makes a very interesting uh, way forward.
0: And what about uh, Total or someone like Exxon?
1: Well, so Exxon is, is in some respects an exception because uh, among its peers uh, arguably has the the largest exposure to new capacity uh, you know Total has spent a lot of uh, a lot of time and money um, with acquisitions over the last few years um, and and that has been pulled back uh, to a certain extent um, and uh, and I, I do recall that uh, you know as recently as a year ago there was still a lot of focus on uh, on brownfield uh, uh, brownfield play uh, in, in North America um, as an important source of low-cost energy um, you know now, uh, I think as we move forward, and one of the things that we'll see, um, you know, is is how how this is going to uh, how this is going to change with new spending plans uh, as they are announced in uh, you know uh, looking at 2021 and beyond. Uh, so that's something we're paying very close attention to. And Mike, uh,
0: there's kind of a another class of LNG player in certainly in North America I guess for lack of a better term the the LNG pure plays companies like Cheniere and, and Sempra um, ha, there not long ago there were you know dozens of LNG projects in the works and that that list has dwindled down quite a bit since then so what is the what's the situation like for those types of companies
2: Well Sempra and Cheniere are kind of in a, uh, a class by themselves as far as the US. Is concerned. I mean, they their strategies really haven't. I would argue that they really haven't changed since uh, the, since COVID, even since COVID nineteen came through, because they were always going to be building building out gradually as demand worked for them, and they were they have trading arms as well. So their they've their strategies basically slowed down, but not necessarily changed. And they have with with their existing projects and existing revenue. They have they they can afford to wait. They have they have the means to wait. They can wait to see where where the next uh, where the next operation come. However, the um, the more the independent um, LUS LNG developers are in uh, are in a tight, very tight spot. They were already suffering from uh, oversupply, the trade China trade war. They had one. They were already in trouble before COVID nineteen showed up. So uh, they're they're going to be. Uh, they, they're going to, it's going to take, it's, we'll have to see how that shakes out, but Semper and Chenier are not going to be shaking out there. They're already over the FID hump and they're re- there. They can wait to see what the next, uh, how COVID, the very uncertain end to COVID turns out.
0: Mm-hmm. And Ian, uh, no, no conversation about LNG would be complete with uh, some of the world's biggest players, uh, notably QP, but also uh, other companies like Novatech. Um What, what are we hearing from them?
1: Well, you know, and, and this is there's some interesting contrasts that come into play here because, you know, as part of our, uh, our long-term outlook, uh, you know, we, we see that, that the U.S. Uh, is still, you know, U.S. projects, new projects or expansion plans still require a, uh, a, a really interesting, unique uh, set of conditions, uh, you know, to be sufficiently supportive. Uh, high oil price, low Henry Hub price, uh, and um, you know, and and buyers that are are certainly aiming to have exposure to U.S. volumes. And for all the cargos that were canceled in 2020, I think we're going to to see how many um, are still going to have that sort of appetite. Now, when you s- switch over to you know the likes of QP and, and Novatech, uh, you know this is where uh, an awful lot of your new capacity plans are, are really. Residing at this time, uh, you know, for for the long term, um, but also, you know, the priorities are, are are a little bit different when you look at them uh, against uh, either some of these special purpose vehicles in the U.S. or uh, U.S. specific uh, ventures, or even your your legacy IOC uh, sellers, uh, you know. And and we're we're talking about, um, uh, you know, not you know not not just uh, you know the, the 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 need to meet. Uh, new demand over the longer term, but, but also, uh, you know, some, some government responsibilities, either outright or implied, uh, you know, which in, in some respects, uh, unify, uh, QP and, and Novatech, uh, um, and, you know, and, and they're going to be some very interesting competitors, um, over the, over the much longer term as well. Um, if they're not already, uh, <laughs> uh you know, uh, fierce competitors, uh, and, and, and this, I, th- I think will manifest, uh, um, you know, in several market areas uh, around the world. So that that should be very interesting uh, to watch, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, given those government priorities and, uh, you know, and, and the, the strategies that are uh, the supportive strategies that go along with that.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, just to wrap up here, let's talk about the... <laughs> I guess the most important aspect of any uh, business venture, and and how and what this what role LNG is going to play in uh, the growth prospects for these companies that are involved. So I guess just simply what what is the bull case for LNG as a growth engine, and what needs to happen to make these early investments pay off, especially for some of these in limbo projects, uh, to make it past the finish line. Well.
1: You know, we really have to, to, to reinforce some of these points that we've made over the last 15 minutes or so. And, and, and you know, that really is, um, it's about being, you know, absolutely the lowest cost and most competitive, but you, you do still need to find markets and you need to find financing. And, um, you know, and, and these are, are hugely important uh, questions. Now, you know, for a company to, to, to really want to continue in, you know, down this route from a strategic point of view, it really has to do with how these companies are going to provide uh, stable, uh, you know, long-term cash flow. I mean, that that really is is what underlies, uh, you know, really underlies the, um, you know, the desire to, to continue to pursue these these uh, you know these types of ventures over the longer term. Um, and and for those that do, and for those that are able to to really make this uh, uh, to make the competitive case. Uh, they provide it provides a lot of room for, for upside in tighter markets um, you know, now having said all that uh, you know i think that when we separate out some of these these companies that we're talking about uh, you know sure uh, you, know, you do have uh, you know, uh, your, your larger and legacy players that are are more diversified uh, you know have much more room for flexibility on whether these projects move ahead or not um, and that's that's important to keep in mind, um, you know, and it is absolutely worth looking much more closely to understand how how this could change uh, over time.
0: So I, I guess, Mike, what what do you th- what do you think companies should be doing to ensure that their LNG strategies are resilient and endure through you know, multiple cycles?
2: The, the way i look at it is that anybody in the lng industry that's still standing after the after the 10 plagues that ended with COVID 19 trade war etc uh, anyone is still standing by definition is resilient and enduring uh that's a start um, the other the other strategies they have to do uh, is is everybody now everybody is a trader and as t-r-a-d-e-r um, it's the business is commoditized and everybody has to act like act like it and they are and we're also in a period of, of brownfield pass, backfields, expand, backfills, expansions of existing liquefied trains, etc. It's almost as if the whole world is in, a, in its Australia phase, uh, back when there was a huge greenfield build-out in Australia, followed by more backfills and exist additions to existing projects, et cetera. Now, almost the whole world is in an Australia phase where where, where the build-out has, uh, has slowed and, and backfills and exist additions to existing plants are, are taking over. So uh, in summary, basically, if you're if you're still standing, you're resilient and enduring, and there are other things that have to be done in, in the process.
1: So, so, let's watch. For instance, in the U.S., uh, you know, just coming back to that. Uh, so, so let's watch how over the next year or two, where we see market conditions improving, but you know, whether or not some of these uh, some of these newer ventures that don't currently have uh, cash flow to support them, uh, you know, let, let's let's uh, you know let's try and see the extent to which there could be consolidation or some some reorganization. Uh, in that in that segment, um, you know, so so that these are some of the things that are worth uh, are worth paying attention to, um, you know. In addition to, as Mike was saying, uh, some of these other other strategies that absolutely need to be uh, need to be pursued, uh, you know, again to prolong the life of uh, of existing infrastructure for which there is a lot of uh, uh, blood, sweat, and tears to to get them up and running.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, I think we need to leave it there for now. A really interesting conversation. Uh, uh, Thank you very much. Uh, It's good to hear from you guys. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Ian.
1: Thanks very much, Luke.
0: And thank you, Mike. Thank you, sir. And thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, One more reminder about the Energy Intelligence Forum kicking off on October 13th. This is an event you won't want to miss, so be sure to check it out. In the meantime, you can read all of our news and views and subscribe to any of our services at our website, energyintel.com. My name is Luke Johnson. We'll see you next time.